This is Telehealth Unmuted, a podcast developed by Heartland Telehealth Resource Center. HTRC is one of 14 federally designated telehealth resource centers in the country, serving the states of Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma. We know there's a huge need for up-to-date telehealth-related information, from billing and reimbursement to psychology and online therapy. So we're bringing subject matter experts and their insights right to you. I'm your host, Kara Lawler, Director of Health Communication Research Center, and this is Telehealth Unmuted. I am so excited for today's episode with Morgan Waller. Morgan is the Director of Telemedicine at Children's Mercy Kansas City. Prior to shifting her professional energy to telemedicine, Morgan was a critical care electronic information solutions analyst, and before that, she was a pediatric critical care nurse. Morgan has led Children's Mercy's telemedicine program for over a decade now, starting with one patient in 2012 to over 4,500 RN-facilitated pediatric specialty telemedicine encounters at four regional outreach locations. Wow. Over the last several years, Morgan has presented on a comprehensive range of telemedicine topics at major national healthcare conferences. She is a co-author of the American Academy of Pediatrics Telehealth Guidelines and the American Nurses Association Revision of Principles on Connected Health. She has had numerous publications and interviews on telemedicine, and we're just so fortunate to have the time to sit down with her today and hear about her professional journey and her work. Morgan, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. And I always like to ask the same question just to get things going. And it is for you to tell us about your career background, starting from college. How did you get where you are now? (laughs) Well, in college, um, I had a little trouble deciding um, what I was going to do. So after I um, completed my third undergraduate degree, my parents were pretty much like, you must launch. Um, So the last degree was in nursing and I went, um, my first job was in New Orleans at Tulane University Hospital in their um, pediatric intensive care unit, which was a perfect fit for my personality and energy and Then I did travel nursing, loved that, worked at Children's National, the University of New Mexico, um, various places. And then it's like, okay, probably should, you know, get closer to my parents um, who still lived in Southeast Kansas, which is important to the story a little bit. Um, We'll get back to, I'll come back to that in a sec, but um, worked at Children's Mercy because the um, was the closest pediatric intensive care unit to where I was from originally and um, jumped forward when we needed to adopt an electronic health record and partnered with Cerner and I became um, a system analyst for the PICU and the critical care areas so I was the liaison for that so they promised me I could learn the technical stuff even though I was sure I couldn't and uh you know, after three years, I I had, I felt kind of like, wow, um, I have crossed over to the dark side. And I did that for seven years. And while I was doing that, I was um, met a 
wonderful, amazing nurse from Eastern Maine Medical Center through the Cerner Critical Care Leadership Council. And we shared this passion for telemedicine. She was actually the director of, of telemedicine, the pediatric portion in Maine. And I could see how much the demographics were similar in the Midwest to what she was doing in Maine. So I talked to our CMIO and, and shared this passion that I just immediately had developed for a tele, that we needed a telemedicine program at Children's Mercy. And then like a year or so later, um, one of my friends in IT got a job in this new department called telemedicine. And it had to be fate because um, they were interviewing and they were about to close the interviews. And I got my application in and um, started right away. Um, so it was just kind of the two of us and a part-time medical director. And we reported to the CMIO and it was a perfect fit with my clinical background and my IS background. And then having grown up in very, very rural Kansas. Um, you know, you touched on your current role and, and your work with the Children's Mercy Telemedicine Program. So you've, you've been leading this since 2012. Can you tell us about this program um, and give us a little bit more detail into kind of what it, what it currently entails? The program originated with facilitated telemedicine which is different than what a lot of people are familiar with today because of COVID. With facilitated telemedicine, we have always been able to replicate the same standard of care for the most complex appointments, which is not something that you can do with um, all complex conditions in the home. So the program started out with a clinic that Children's Mercy owned in St. Joe, Missouri, and we hired a telefacilitator. Something that was unique about our program was the telefacilitator reported to me and to the telemedicine department, which gave me control over both ends of the equation, as well as the fact that Children's Mercy owned the, the clinic or you know rented the situation in St. Joe. So I could lead and raise the providers as well as the facilitators into this expectation that we could do this and we were going to do it very well because it was hard enough if you can imagine to to argue that we could do this if we were to fail or do anything less than exceptional i was very worried that the program would be, you know, dismantled, if you will. So that is how we got started. I know you had mentioned in the past that part of the Children's Mercy Telemedicine Program is having designated telemedicine teams in different towns, including rural communities. How did you go about um, creating these and establishing these? The big picture for me was um, I had read and immersed myself in everything telemedicine that there was available at the time. And some of the challenges were truly when you don't have the team at the patient with the patient reporting to the same team 
that the physicians do. So hiring the right people, I feel very strongly in a centralized telemedicine department, um, not just leaving it up to each individual specialty to run their own telemedicine show makes that very complicated for an organization. It's interesting to see how, you know, you kind of had that discovery of the skill sets and expertise that were needed as you went along throughout this process of building the program, you know, and having that kind of trial and error um, along the way. Were there any skills that you didn't anticipate would be needed for um, developing this program that ended up being crucial, anything that kind of surprised you in the planning or execution process? I mean, I just, this telemedicine thing made so much sense to me. I believed it. There was never a day. I don't, I can't remember ever thinking except for being worried about, you know, funding being pulled and the program being shut down. But I never thought for a second that telemedicine was not going to be successful, whether, you know, Children's Mercy or, or at large anywhere. I, I just knew it was the future. I didn't anticipate so many providers would be resistant. I thought once I told them, they would get it too. You know, like, um, but I'm not a physician, and so I didn't come with that concern for you know, not that I didn't care about our patients. I just never doubted that they could do it. And I think they had some doubt until they actually started seeing our amazing technology. I think at one point you had mentioned progressing from 30 to 51 specialties. Um, what are some of these specialties and what was the journey in developing <laughs> to 51, right? That's a big jump. So I think this was, this is a little bit, maybe not unique, but I do see it as a failure point for some organizations that have tried to launch telemedicine programs. When we originally got started, we had help from strategy and they laid out this beautiful plan of what departments and areas were doing um, outreach already as far as going out into rural areas and providing their specialty services. And you know, the plan was that we would replace those physical in-person journeys with telemedicine for the obvious reason that if you're spending four hours in a car, four hours is a lot of patients that can be seen. So, you know, if we quit driving to some of these outreach locations and actually just do telemedicine, well, that was fine and dandy, but I can't get these, you know, these areas that have already got programs established, interested in my new, you know, way of doing things. So what the Eureka moment was, was a provider that wanted to do telemedicine, wasn't on that list of strategy, had been an early adopter, always came to me and said, I want to do this. Um, we did a small grant application, got started. And it's amazing what competition among physicians can do. So really the shift then became finding providers in any specialty that was of the 
and we have crazy special, you know, like I said, micro specialties and subspecialties. I'm not joking. Um, you know, our within within our pain department, we have a wraps program, which is nationally known for its success in treating chronic pain in kids. Um, we have, you know, rheumatology, which there's only like 350-ish board-certified pediatric rheumatologists in the entire nation. And then if, you know, looking in ears, nose, throat, listening to breath sounds, the basic system assessments, we have the capability of doing all of that as well. So I've really just been kind of talking all over the place and I'm gonna try to bring this back to all of the specialties that we have. So sports medicine, um, our big hitters are allergy, immunology. They see lots of patients every month, facilitated and in the home. So do our gastroenterology providers. Um, they were, it's funny because they were reluctant a long time ago in the beginning to get started. They really felt like they had to touch the tummy themselves. I'm guessing something along the way, um, they had an epiphany and realized that they weren't always maybe touching the tummy in an in-person visit or the diagnostic exams were replacing some of that palpation or that they could listen to what the nurse says she feels when she does, you know, a palpation. Because that's the other thing, our, our buy-in grew a lot with how impressed the doctors were with the RN telefacilitators. They are just exceptional nurses. And so that that became a, a big win for us was that relationship between the facilitator and the provider. You know, if you go through the list of um, on the Children's Mercy website of all of the different departments, um, plus the allied health services, respiratory therapy, nutrition, hearing and speech, you quickly, um, there's someone in pretty much every one of our areas that is doing telemedicine. That's incredible. And, um, you know, it really stuck out to me when you were talking about, I believe the GI doctor, you know, having that realization that they didn't need to touch the patient's stomach in order to provide quality care. And I feel like, you know, this is an epiphany that a lot of providers have um, when they start to realize that most everything can be done digitally and without compromising quality of care and 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 serving their patients kind of centering on uh this the children's mercy telemedicine program and really curious to know what regions and demographics do you serve currently and um what are the biggest gaps right in in those regions both for the patient population and the provider population so we have a, um, we have clinics in, so Wichita, Kansas, St. Joe, Missouri, Junction City, Kansas, Topeka, Kansas, Joplin, Missouri. And then we have a couple of others um, where we're not there as frequently. So we rent a space and we might be there a couple of days um, a month. To a certain extent, there are some limitations, but so not only can they see their specialists and they can get their diagnostic 
tests done closer to home. So yes, they may have to, if, you know, if they live in far out Western Kansas, they may have to drive to Wichita, but they don't have to drive to Kansas City. So we see a lot of that where we're really covering a very large area around those already distal towns. And then with our, um, you know, telemedicine patient home program, we can see patients anywhere. And as technology, you know, progresses and 5G becomes more available, there, there really will be no limitation because of legal barriers and state licensure limitations. Providers have to be licensed in the state where the patient's located at the time of the visit. Uh, so we have been very thoughtful about how can we get some of our highly sought after specialists licensed in other states besides Missouri and Kansas in order to help serve um, some of the needs that those states have for specialists. So we have a, a gastroenterologist, for example, that has an Oklahoma license and an Arkansas license. So we are, um, and there is a physician compact that hopefully it helps get licenses faster. You still have to get one if you're a provider, but the processing of your information doesn't take quite as long as it used to. I do want to make sure to touch on the leadership component of this, right? Like kind of transitioning from the Im implementation, the feet on the ground work to, you know, what this process has been like for you as somebody spearheading this program, motivating people, you know, guiding people along this process. I mean, I think we all recognize that, um, that there are just some leadership qualities that are kind of essential to effective leaders. And one of those that I've always believed in strongly, even before I was, I guess, an official leader is to treat people the way I wanna be treated. Um, I'm pretty sensitive to uh, people not trusting me. So therefore I, I just am very trusting. And that helped a lot in the situation of hiring nurses and them having some doubts about, you know, can, you know, can we do this and can I learn all these different um, assessments and remember which provider I'm working with and what assessment they want. So that, you know, was something that I kind of brought to the table already. And then as a complete crazy person, I decided to get my master's in business administration while right after we had built a new home and moved and had two girls in grade school. So that helped, obviously. Um, I loved my leadership portion of my master's degree, just ate all of that up. And I had a boss, um, Dr. Fitzmorris believed in me. Um, and tolerated me, uh, supported me. And, you know, as I kept growing the program and getting adoption and being asked to speak at um, different conferences, you know, um, then she grew, you know, the positions and I, you know, advanced. And then we had more positions in our department. 
so it it was um a journey where yeah telemedicine and I kind of professionally grew up together how did you instill hope motivation and momentum for you know the people that and the organizations that you know were adopting telemedicine practices that you were kind of guiding and and pushing pushing along i used to have a piece piece of paper pinned um above my desk when we all worked physically <laughs> in the same space and it was just this jagged up and down line you know with those peaks and valleys just crazy you know up and down and underneath it was you know this is the telemedicine journey from day to day because one day we could be the absolute bell of the ball the the organization you know we'd be featured in some internal communication about our successes and then the next day we would have our you know tails in a total vice because we had um pushed the limits and got og you know the office of general counsel um you know involved which never makes anyone's day um I love our OGC partners because they are who they are and they know what they know, but I am so not that. Um, so that was, you know, again, maybe stupid and immature, naive, or and I don't know, but because I would just go in and, and argue with them and um, yeah, they must have just thought, what is this person? Um, but we needed them. And they were the detail people, but that jagged line. And I, I maintained the positivity among our team by being honest. I am, that's an, another thing I really very much believe in and I'm painfully honest. And I try to maintain a, a sense of humor about, you know, negative obstacles. I think, um, you know, from a leadership perspective, cause I, I uh, run a business, I have a team, um, honesty is always best policy. And I think, you know, inviting your, your, you know, um, colleagues into that conversation kind of levels the playing field where it's not like boss versus employee, like you are part of the same team and you're able to, you know, be, be, you're able to have those conversations and, and, and make sure and instill that they, uh, know that their opinion matters. Right. And I think the way to do that is by, is by you know breaking down those walls and having those conversations so i that that is immediately what came to mind as you were talking but i i really love that and another thing i wanted to mention it's um women's history month and and part of our goal um you know really with that with any episode but especially you know this one is is really thinking about the um the intersection of you know, being a woman in the in the industry, in the healthcare industry, in the leadership industry, in the telemedicine industry, and and being you know in a leadership position, being an early adopter, what has your experience been like, and and have there been any you know challenges that you believe are kind of unique to that experience? So, being a female leader um, in today's or you know in the last decade or two, you know. I think it's because of my parents. Um, 
I never thought for a second that there wasn't anything I couldn't do. And I'm also very fortunate because I've never experienced anything that I was able to identify as obvious um, discrimination or, um, or thank goodness, no, no sexual harassment or anything like that. I've been, you know, that's just never happened to me. And I'm, I know it happens and I'm not diminishing anyone who's had those experiences. I've just been fortunate to not. So, um, and with that mindset of, you know, there's nothing that, you know, you can't do. I tell the girls, you can do anything. You just can't do everything. Because we really can't. We don't have time to do everything. So that's a fallacy. Women have horribly been discriminated against and having leaders and and that don't have to deal with so much of that um, is awesome beyond belief. But I just, I really am glad that we're getting past a lot of that, I hope, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I love that answer. And, you know, I think each person's experience is different, right? Like you said. And um, I think we're really fortunate to be living in a time where we're seeing representation, like we're seeing tangible examples of, of women in these leadership roles doing anything, right? And I think that is really powerful, especially for younger generations to be able to see and witness and to uh, believe can happen for themselves. As we're kind of wrapping up today, I always like to kind of step into the future, right? We did the past, the, the present, and then now thinking about the future. What are you working on implementing in the future? Like, what are you hoping to do with telemedicine? Essentially, where are you hoping to go from here? That is an interesting question because you would think that with a team like, you know, I have the pleasure of, of working with, we would all have that, you know, lined out. And But after COVID, and maybe it was just kind of a little bit of PTSD after COVID, you know, we were kind of shook and it's like, oh, you know, what now? Um, and it was interesting because the, the first American Telemedicine Association conference I attended after COVID, I was shocked because I really went expecting that the whole world had this all figured out now, you know, that no longer would Children's Mercy be unique um, in our telemedicine program that, you know, COVID surely had taught everyone the necessity of using technology. I was really blown away by the fact that that wasn't the case, that there were still people running around ATA conference, not having a clue <laughs> about what this telemedicine thing is or how to do it. And, um, and I was kind of like deflated a little bit and tired. I'm like, I'm tired of talking about it. Like, it's just so obvious. Um, so there was some pause. And then a couple of um, my man managers attended a session on virtual nursing and we're like, wow, okay. Cause we're, you know, we've been predicting for decades that there was gonna be provider and nursing shortages. Well, now they've happened. We didn't do a very good job of 
preventing it, even though we knew it was coming. So we get to be the reactionary Americans that we, <laughs> or humans, I think it's a little bit of a human trait, um, to fix it. And virtual nursing is a way to really help the nurses that have to deliver care in person do a lot of the tasks that are required for safety, for our accreditation, you know, bodies, um, for legal reasons, uh, et cetera, reimbursement, stuff that doesn't have to be done physically in the same room with the patient. And even prior to um, attending that session at ATA and kind of being, I mean, we knew about virtual nursing, but this was just like a big awakening. But we as a, as a group have wanted for a long time to expand our technical capabilities to every patient care location in the organization. But we want the ability, we're starting to do multidisciplinary clinics where the patient may very well be on site in Kansas City with one of their specialists, but they need to see another specialist or they need to see a dietitian. Um, and they may need social work as well. So we're able to bring those other specialties and allied health support into the room with um, technology, amazing cameras, big screen. So the patient and family can see all of the specialty services that they need to see with one trip. And our all of those specialty providers and allied health people don't have to leave their location and walk or drive for this one appointment. They're able to join from their office or from the clinic that they're you know, working in that day. What do I want? Um, and fortunately, we've got some good support. Children's Mercy has, um, you know, amazing people, leaders, professionals. Um, but I would like to see us have virtual capabilities in every patient care area, inpatient rooms, the emergency department, um, our ICUs. Um, so yeah, so we can help our in-person caregivers in the in the best, safest possible ways through technology and people who want to use the technology. I really appreciate your time today, Morgan. Um, and uh, if there's nothing else, I, um, I just want to say thank you again for your time. Well, thank you, Kara, for being interested in the future of healthcare. This has been Telehealth Unmuted. Be sure to share this episode and subscribe to hear future interviews with leading experts in the field. This podcast was made possible by the Heartland Telehealth Resource Center through grant number U1UTH42530 from the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth, Health Resources and Services Administration and Department of Health and Human Services.